This is Law for Community Workers on the Go, a podcast for community and health workers. In today's episode, Natalie from our Community Legal Education branch will be talking to Suzanne Parker from the Government Law Team, who specialises in the NDIS. This is part two of a two-part series looking deeper into the specifics of getting access to the NDIS and planning. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go back and start there. If you're totally new to the NDIS or would like a refresher, we'd recommend you go back even further to episode 10 of this podcast, which is called NDIS The Basics, and start there. Before we begin this episode, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay our respects to their elders past and present, and also extend that respect to any Indigenous people who may be listening. Welcome back, Suzanne. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me, Natalie. So we're continuing the journey of somebody applying for the NDIS. After access is granted, what happens next? So the next step is you will get a package of money. You'll be a participant and you'll have a plan. Um, how you get and that plan and how you get the supports, how that's decided is something that's really important to discuss and hopefully troubleshoot as well. So you mentioned planning meeting. Mm-hmm. Is that the first step? Um, that's the second step, Natalie. So, okay. so the first step the first. is <laughs> the first step is pre-planning, and I think I cannot overemphasize how important this is. Pre-planning allows you to figure out what you're asking for. So, what are the supports that you need? Why do you need those supports? How much of those supports do you need? Are those supports that you're asking for practical? Do you have those reports to support you with those supports? <laughs> so, there's a lot of things that you need to work out before you go to that planning meeting to make sure that you're prepared as much as possible. And who's available to help with all that? In this area, we actually do have some people that can help out very specifically. So, the NDIA has funded some people um, that go by the name of local area coordinators or LACs or LACs. There are LACs in every area. So, uh, if you call the agency, you can get hooked in with an LAC who can help you with some of this planning. Some people have family members that they're able to sit down and work this through with. Um, Not everyone needs to use an LAC, but they are there as a resource. And what's a a support coordinator? Is that someone who's involved at this stage or that comes later? That comes later. A support coordinator is someone that is funded in your plan. They're someone that can help implement your plan, help you get linked in with certain services and supports. Maybe you need some uh, individual support workers to come to your house. Um, They can help you figure out some of those um, details and logistics of making your plan work once you've got a pot of money. So you've done your Mm pre-planning, so you're getting an idea of of what you want. So what does that involve? So the next step is having a planning meeting with the agency. The agency will set up a time with you. They were doing some planning meetings over the phone. I don't think that that is their practice anymore, but if that does happen to you, know that you can say, no, no, I really want to have a face-to-face meeting. So you can come into the local NDI office if that's something that you want to do. Sit down with a planner and start to go through some of the supports that you're asking for. They'll likely ask you lots of questions about why you need it, what it's going to do for you, um, how does it meet your goals and aspirations, um, which is something, Natalie, is really important to 
go over it in your pre-planning. You need to work out what are your goals and aspirations. Ideally, they should be achievable within the 12 months of your plan. So you, as a, a kid, might have a very specific goal of learning to ride a bike. Um, an adult might have a goal of going sailing, if that's an activity that they want to do. So having those goals and figuring out ways that those supports will help you to meet those goals. Um, so you'll be talking about those supports and the goals in your planning meeting with someone from the agency. And you hear about the NDIS funding, what's reasonable and necessary. Does that come into the So when you are asking for supports, so whether that is a wheelchair, whether that's a support worker, anything, it has to meet the Section 34 reasonable and necessary criteria. So with the example of sailing, now the agency isn't going to fund a sailboat, um, (laughs) but they might be able to, you you might be be going to a day program, there might be some funding for the day program, but you might also need a, a one-on-one support worker to be with you in the boat. And I'm not suggesting that someone is perhaps sailing a boat independently, but they might be there on the boat and that's what they're doing for the day, but they need a support worker to be there with. So the agency funding that support worker is something that would be within generally what the agency does, but it would still have to meet the reasonable and necessary criteria in section 34. So goals can either be specific like that mm-hmm. or they can be general about living independently yes or finding a job that's right yeah so that's those are also good examples they can be really broad um i've seen supports or goals sorry as broad as to maintain my current supports that's a really big goal like it it just is to ensure continuity of your supports but it's not nearly as specific as the i want to ride a bike so it's up to you how you choose to structure those goals and aspirations So after the planning meeting, how is the plan itself developed or created? (laughs) So once the planning meeting takes place, the the NDIA planner will take everything away. They'll go away and make a plan. Then they will give that plan to you. There's not a lot of collaboration. You don't get a first draft of the plan for your amendments and suggestions. They're going to give you the plan which is how people end up here with me um, because they're unhappy with the way that that's gone. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of way for you to work on that plan or draft that plan. The power that you have is to submit a review and ask for a review of of that plan. So that's what you help to do. That's right. Similar to the same process as, or exactly the same as the process about appealing an access decision, a person will make an internal review request, and then if that's unsuccessful, then they will make an application to the AAT. Right, with the same time limits, the three months for internal review. And and 28 days. days. Yes. So, Suzanne, you mentioned that people get a pot of money or money in their plans. So what does that mean? So, uh, first of all, a person doesn't get money in their bank account, um, except for there might be some transport allowance that gets that goes into the bank account, but everything else is on a portal. So, you basically have numbers on a page and the agency will have some money in your online portal. And so, you know how much money you have to use. You can access that portal. Um, and that's how your providers will be paid for the supports that they deliver. Which also brings me to another important point. There are three different ways that your plan can be managed. It can be self-managed, it can be NDIA managed, or it can be managed by a plan manager. And there are benefits and drawbacks to all three of those scenarios. A plan can be managed either in whole or in part by any one of those three setups. So I'll I'll just explain what that means. So if you have a, a plan that's managed by the agency, you're going to be using providers that are NDIA registered. This means that the registered provider of supports can invoice the NDIA directly. So 
there's nothing for you to do. You don't have to send any reports or invoices. It's a relationship that the provider and the NDI, NDI have directly. If you have a plan that's self-managed, it means that you can use providers who perhaps aren't NDI registered. If someone is not NDI registered, that doesn't really mean anything about the quality of their services. It really just is, maybe they didn't want to go through all the paperwork of applying to the NDIA to become registered. But if you're a parent and you have a child that um, you want to use some independent support workers or an independent therapist, you might want to be able to have that flexibility of asking for someone who's not NDI registered. And to do that, you'll need to be self-managed. What that does mean though on a self-managed plan is that you will have responsibility about invoices and payments, and there's some administration that will have to go on. The third option with plan management is kind of a nice way to do self-management without having to do any. Plan manager is funded in your NDIS plan and they are a third party who pretty much do all the administration and the invoicing for you. So you can still use your independent therapist, but um, the plan manager is going to deal with those invoices and payments instead of you. And that's different to a support coordinator. Yes, uh, a support coordinator. And earlier you mentioned a coordinator of supports. Those are three different people. There's plan manager, coordinator of supports, and support coordinator, and they all do that different things. very confusing things. for everyone. <laughs> it is yeah. true. So what does the coordinator of supports do? A coordinator of supports does coordinating your supports, really. They are hooking you up and linking you in and, and helping to implement your plan um, in a way that works for you and in uh, conjunction with you. So they'll say, hey, Natalie, I found three different providers. Um, they do X, Y, and Z, and this one does A, B, and C, and this one does one, two, and three. Which one do you like best? Um, and then you'll be able to pick one of those supports, and your coordinator supports will go away and organize that. So they kind of do the research and yeah. running around to find the best thing. That's right. But the plan manager is the administrative side. Yes. Just dealing with the invoices and mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. I think I've got it. <laughs> So how do people prepare for the planning meeting? So for the planning meeting, they're going to want to figure out who they want to attend with them. So you can have a family member or a support person come with you. I think it's really important to have support because it is a big deal and the supports that you get from the agency will have a big impact on your life. So have someone come with you that you're gonna it's gonna help you feel comfortable and also to help you remember things that you might forget on the day. So you can have a support person. And that could be a caseworker or it can be a caseworker or a support mm-hmm. worker, your coordinator of supports if you've had one in the past, mm-hmm. they can come along. Perhaps you have a disability advocate and you worked with them on the access decision and now you want their support in the planning meeting. So There are lots of people that can come along with you and you can decide who you want to come. You're going to want to bring reports with you. So let's pretend that you went through the access process with me where you successfully got you into the scheme. But along the way, we got a few different reports. One might be from an occupational therapist and that's going to have really, really good information in there about a lot of the things that you're having trouble with, maybe showering, maybe shopping or cooking. So those reports are going to be really helpful for the agency to Um, help understand your point of view. So you've got your support person, you've got your reports. I think it's also really important to have a schedule of your daily activities. So if you're asking for five different therapies, the agency will want to know how you're going to fit them into your day. It's important to, to see how these supports are going to work and what it's going to look like practically for you. So one of the really good reasons, Natalie, to do a schedule of daily supports or therapies. So for example, if you're a mom and you've got a, a, a 
school-aged child and you're wanting 20 hours of ABA therapy, and I know that that's a contentious issue. What's ABA therapy? ABA therapy is Applied (laughs) Behavior Analysis, and that's a specialized therapy for kids with autism. Um, You've heard that 20 hours is really good, and maybe you've got a recommendation for 20 to 30 hours a week. And so the agency is really going to want to know how are you going to fit this in around the, the child's schedule? Um, and you sit down with a pen and paper and you realize, oh, I'm not actually sure, can, I can fit it all in there. Or maybe you can, but either way, the agency is going to want to see that you can practically implement the level of therapy that you're asking for. So in your work, Suzanne, what are some of the common things you see or reasons you see that plans are rejected? So as we talked about earlier, Natalie, the support has to meet all of the Section 34 reasonable necessary supports criteria. There are six different criteria that every support that you ask for has to meet. I won't go through all of them here because it's a lot of words and a lot of reading, (laughs) Um, but the ones that I see that are most problematic for people include value for money so that the support is going to be um, beneficial. So maybe it's a therapy and the agency wants to know why you've requested two different speech therapists. Is it value for money that you attend two different speech therapies? The second one is that the support will be um, effective and beneficial. Again, that might come down to the number of hours that you've asked for. So um, with the ABA that I talked about earlier, is it going to matter between 10 hours versus 20 hours? If a child gets 10 hours of support or therapy, is that going to be just as, as effective as 20 hours? So they want to know if the support is going to be effective and beneficial at that delivery rate. The third one that we often see is that the support takes into account what's reasonable for families to provide. And so that might be something where we see some issues about the level of respite. For families that have a child that have very high needs, they might be asking for a respite, but the agency might have a counter argument and say, well, for most families, there's very high levels of care for a three, four, five, and six-year-old. And then we're wanting to distinguish the differences in some of those families versus a typically developing child versus one that has um, some very significant disabilities. So Suzanne, how does legal aid fit into planning? How does legal aid help? As we talked about earlier, if you're unhappy with the plan that you received, um, you've gone through the internal review stage, you're unhappy with that outcome as well, um, you can appeal and you end up at legal aid if you get representation. One of the things that we can do is get new reports. Um, We can write a really good statement with you about why you're asking for the support that we're seeking from the tribunal. And we do help people to get some really good outcomes. Last year, a colleague was able to go to the tribunal. This is the case of PNFK. The family has a child, a young child with very severe disabilities. Her first plan from the agency was $86,000. The second plan from the agency was $69,000. So it dropped and the family was finding that they just really couldn't manage. So they appealed. Sorry, Susanna, is that an amount per year? Yes, an an amount per year. So with legal representation, when we appealed to the tribunal, we were able to show the tribunal ultimately that the family needed up to $200,000 of support and the tribunal ruled in our favour. So just to wrap up, what are the key messages for community workers, disability support workers, carers, I guess anyone in the community about planning the NDIS? I think the key messages to take away from the planning podcast that we've just done is um, the pre-planning. Know what you're asking for and why. Really putting in some good groundwork will set you up to have a good and fulsome discussion with the planner. When you are given a plan, see how it compares against what you've asked for. So it sets you up with knowledge. And if you're unhappy with the outcome of either the original decision or the internal review, 
you know that you can appeal that decision. Thanks so much, Suzanne, for your time today. That was really helpful and informative. And maybe we'll chat again soon. Thanks again, Natalie. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure to share it with your colleagues and let us know if there's a topic that you would like us to do an episode on. We'd love to hear from you. Our contact details are in the episode notes below. Until next time, thanks so much from all of us here at the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales. Thank you.